This is the ID Fanatic Podcast, coming to you from beautiful Midtown Toronto on Tuesday, June 29th, 2021. The podcast where we talk to real instructional designers for one half hour about their lives, their careers, and how they keep it all together. My guest today is Mary Nunali of Hendersonville, Tennessee, and one of the founders of the Lavender Dragon Team. Mary, welcome to the show. Thank you, Mitch. I'm excited to be here. Well, thank you very much for doing this. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's always fun to talk ID. Are you listening to some other ID podcasts? Um, I listen to a range of podcasts. The only other ID-ish podcast that I listen to is Online Course Igniters mm. with Jeremy Diem. And then I listen to Badass um, Online Marketing with Bobby Klink, which uh-huh. is more of the how to not be one of these bro marketers and and uh, he's an attorney mm. turned online course creator so he's not really an id per se uh uh-huh. but online course creators are the people you're dealing with now so i have business, a right? a mixed audience uh, about 60% of my clients are corporate uh-huh. um non i i lump nonprofit under corporate and then about 40% are folks that have you know decided oh i need to sell build a course and sell a course mm-hmm because my coach told me to or something like that. Um, so my goal with them is to educate them that shooting video is not a course. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so the other 60% though are, are just straightforward e-learning clients? So the other 60% are straightforward e-learning clients, um, mostly in the food and beverage hospitality related fields right. because that's my first professional background. Yes. So I was going to say that one of the reasons, one of the things I learned about you in your profile that made me want to have a chat was that uh, you were in food and beverage for about a dozen years back in the 90s. Mm. My uncle was a restaurateur here in Toronto. Oh, awesome. He had one of the best family restaurants you've ever seen. Uh, it was, uh, I don't know, it was just a really great ambiance. They had booths. The menu was funny. The dishes were creative. Uh, there was something on there, for instance, called Kishka Latoni. Okay. So, so I'm Jewish, and the sort of vibe of the restaurant was sort of... It, it wasn't a very Jewish vibe. It was really a, a general audience family vibe. Uh-huh. But there were, some, there were some things on the menu, like Kishka Latoni. Kishka is a Jewish dish. It's like stuffed derma. It's okay. Like, well, because uh, I'm Polish, so we have oh, Kishka good. too. Which yeah, is... so you have Kishka too. Yeah, well, we stole it from you. Yeah, okay. So. Exactly. We steal... <laughs> The Jews in Europe stole from everybody. Exactly. Who stole the kishka? So yeah, yeah. I, uh, I I I I always make sure I bring kishka back on my trips home to Chicago. Oh, great. So kishka alla Tony. His chef's name was Tony. He was Italian. And, ah. And, and I guess he put his own little spin on the kishka. So that kind of thing was what we saw on the menu. On the menu, it was very very a lot of fun. That and sounds I, I've like never fun. seen a place like that since. And he owned a catering service. Uh, and there was a, there was a smorgasbord upstairs of the place. Nice. And then he started some other restaurants. Then he started the sub- submarine chain. He did events like the Rogers Cup here in Toronto, the tennis tournament. Oh, yes. So, uh, and I worked for him in a, in a couple of, couple of, and I could a few times, I guess. All the, the, the nephews and things all got a chance to start their careers there kind of yeah, you know i i highly recommend that anybody no matter what career they go in spend yeah. some time either in food service or retail mm-hmm. because it teaches you so much about life in general 
me dealing with customers? Yes. Well, dealing with customers, but also thinking on your feet, you know, crisis management, um, not on a large scale, like, you know, the Mm -hmm. building just collapsed, but in terms of, you know, in a restaurant, like I overbooked reservations and now we're on a three hour wait and what am I going to do and how do Mm -hmm. I keep them happy? And, you know, there's a fire in the kitchen. What do I do? Don't panic. (laughs) It really Um, prepares you for any situation. Anyway, so you started off in food and beverage. Tell us what that part of your career was like and how did you get into that? Sure. So, I mean, actually food and beverage has probably been a part of my life since as long as I can remember. So my first foray was when I was 16 years old and my dad's like, you need to go get a job. My friend's got a daughter that works at McDonald's. You should go apply. (laughs) And I did. And then that's good dad advice. (laughs) That's right. Well, except for he never expected me to stay. So I put myself through college as a shift manager working at McDonald's. So six years later, he's going, when are you ever going to get a real job? And I'm like, it is a real job. (laughs) So I came of age, you know, in the the late 70s, early 80s. So when I graduated from college, we were in the middle of one of the, you know, many recessions that we've experienced in the 20th century. Mm -hmm. And when you have a degree in Russian history and political science, there's not necessarily a whole lot of jobs unless you decide to go to grad school, which wasn't my ideal. Yeah. So I then got a job working as a waitress at a Denny's on the graveyard shift. Um, from, from McDonald's to Denny's. Is from that McDonald's a, to is, Denny's. Is that a step up? It was a step up, it I is. thought. Okay. <laughs> but I thought I was qualified to be a manager and they thought I was only yeah. qualified to be a server. But the cool thing is, is I would play games with myself and with my customers. Did like, they have female managers? They had very few female managers back then. I was just wondering if that was part of it. Yeah, I think that was part of it. Um, And even at McDonald's, it was a big thing for me to be able to work behind the line on the grill because that was not something that, at the time, women typically did. So it was was interesting coming up in a very male-dominated culture in that era. But at Denny's, uh, working at that graveyard shift, I would play games with the customers, which I think prepared me for, you know, being able to sell my services and my products because it'd be like, can I get a hundred percent tip on everything I sell, especially with cups of coffee at 50 cents or whatever it was back then. Um, but it was all about service and listening and, you know, finding out what the customer's needs were. From there, I went and worked at Hyatt Hotels for several years in management. So I managed restaurants. I was an executive steward. That's a big big step up. That's a big step up, yes. Um, Executive steward, uh, banquet manager, beverage manager. So I traveled around the Chicago, Milwaukee, New Orleans. Uh And training folks was always an aspect of the job, even as a manager from there. Mm -hmm. I went to um, Gaylord Opryland in Nashville. So I moved from Chicago to Nashville, uh, worked at one of the restaurants, but then moved into training and was responsible for training all of the food and beverage employees at this hotel that had about 3,000 employees. So that's when I really experienced the world of formalized training and how to develop good training that it was action-oriented and focused on adult learners uh-huh. And then from there, I taught at a community college for 15 years, and I ran the hotel restaurant management program and was the instructional designer for the campus. So right. so at what point do you start calling yourself an instructional designer? Um, you know, I think probably when I got to the college where I had that formal instructional designer in my job title. Uh-huh. But I don't know if you're familiar with the book, The Accidental Instructional Designer. I've heard of it, yeah. 
It's an excellent book, and I highly recommend it to anyone who has found themselves in the role of instructional designer that wakes up in the morning going, how did I get here? But I did then, while I was at the college, go and got a master's in education with a focus on online. Yeah. So while um, you were at the college, yes, you did the master's degree, and you also did a lot of online training. That is correct. From, so, uh, let me see Coursera, ATD, Lynda.com, which is now LinkedIn Learning, right? Right. So and there's then, quite a few in there. So you have a lot of experience on the receiving end of online training. A lot of experience on the receiving end, also a lot of experience on the creating end. So at the college, we were switching our distance education from mailing out videotapes to students to moving yeah. everything online. Yeah. So I was on the in the distance learning department and helped faculty in addition to building my own courses, because I still taught all the hotel restaurant courses, mm -hmm. converting from in-person or videotape to an online environment. Now, you must have liked a lot of the courses you took because you took a number of them. Yes. Uh, did you learn a lot from that about the, the, the uh, do's and don'ts of uh, online training? Um, I did learn a fair bit. And I also learned things that I didn't like and uh -huh. strive to make them better. Because for me, one Give of us the an example. Okay, so so many online courses are very passive. Yeah. And as adults, we want to be able to apply that information right away. So for example, you know, if I need to change the gasket in my sink, I go watch a YouTube video, but as I'm watching it, I'm also changing the gasket. Mm-hmm. And so many online courses today, it's more of a passive consumption of information. And so we strive to build more interactivity yeah. into courses so that as an adult, it's like, okay, so you watch this or you read this, now go do something with it and then come back and share, share yeah. what you did. You know, what's interesting about the YouTube example, because I was talking with somebody the other day who mentioned that, is that nobody tells you to do it while you're watching the video, Right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> you're, you're, you're just motivated, you know, for this objective. You want to fix something or whatever. You find a video. You say, Oh, let me try this one. You don't like it. You try another one. But, uh, yeah, I, I did that. I learned how to change the, uh, how to fix the gears on my son's bicycle. So I didn't, cause especially, you know, during the pandemic, the bike store shops were, you know, you couldn't get a bike and the line ups for any kind of fixing were, were ridiculous. So. Uh, so I taught myself that, but I guess the point is it's a, it's a doing thing and nobody tells you how to do it, but everybody kind of does it the same way. Right. It is a challenge to transfer that sort of thing to online learning because, you know, they may not have the motivation that's involved or they may, or, and once you have to tell them to do something, you're then dealing with a situation where, oh, I'm being told to do something. Do I really want to? Maybe I'll just listen, you know, whatever. Right. And I think though the key thing is if it's a topic, so as, as a consumer of online courses, not as a corporate employee who's being required to take the courses. And, yeah. and there is a little bit of a distinction. Mm -hmm. So for anyone who's ever had to sit through compliance training in a business, we often laugh about that's just the click next to continue course because you're just trying to fulfill a requirement. Mm -hmm. And we really could as an industry make those courses better and more engaging. But as a consumer taking an online course, the, the expectation is I'm taking the course for a reason because I hope to get something out of it. And if I'm just watching video, I don't 
I need somebody to sometimes tell me what that next step is. Yeah. And I need somebody who will engage with me, whether it's automated emails or actual interactions that I can ask questions to, because that's one of the downsides of YouTube videos. I, I do a lot of crocheting and I'll frequently go to YouTube to figure out how to do a certain stitch. Mm-hmm. The problem is I don't know if I'm doing it right or wrong and I can't have somebody over my shoulder going, no, no, if you, you know, hold the yarn like this mm-hmm. and hold the hook like this. Yeah. And I think that's what we're really missing in current online courses today. Yeah. yeah that's a challenge I'm facing now. I, I just, my listeners will know that I just uh, started the full-time job. And uh, I did an interesting focus group just the other week. Okay. And one of the things, and it's a it's a very hands-on, you know, warehouse environment. So um, there was such a large preference for hands-on training, you know, show me how to do it. Right. And then also a lot of preference expressed for uh, having somebody to ask questions, having somebody to, you know, verify your work kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And so I'm looking at, now, how can I reproduce that experience with the learning that we develop? Maybe with a mentor character or some sort of hotline to a real person kind of thing. You know, right. try to build that into the experience. I think that would be really exciting. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with the company Learnovators, but one of the things that they had shown me was a, a chat bot that was built into the online course. Yeah. So it you could, you know, anticipate some of those common questions and yeah. the chat bot could then answer them. So even one step beyond a mentor, it's just like, oh, you have a question about, you know, what to do with this widget. It's like, what a brilliant idea. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm really thinking about that. But the chat bots that I encounter are usually so annoying. That right. Well, <laughs> that you know, and really this is, this is sort it of a, cons- it's a construct within the course. So it, it is like that pop-up mentor. So it's a layer that comes up, but it's yeah. where you can call on it wherever you are in the course. And based on, I would say, now I develop mostly in storyline. So it would be based on like, if I'm on slide three and I'm talking about, um, you know, how to hit my forehand and then that widget, you know, the little chat bot, I can call it the chat bot. It's like, oh, I see you have questions about your forehand. Would you like Uh to see a sample of Roger Federer? Would you like to see a sample of Novak Djokovic? Mm -hmm. So it's, it's sort of slide specific instead of a a, a less, yeah, it's, it's more targeted. Mm -hmm. That sounds great. When you started getting into uh, designing learning, it wasn't just e-learning, it was distance learning. That is correct. So did you start off in distance learning and then move into e-learning? How did that happen? Yeah, great question. So yes, at the, the, the college where I was at, distance learning at the time that I started was literally um, mailing out videotapes to students or, then, or they would come to the library to check out a series of videotapes uh-huh. or it was interactive television. So basically what we know is Zoom today, but it was a professor in a classroom remotely connecting to another classroom at a different location. And that was considered cutting edge distance learning. Mm -hmm. Then when the internet got more stable and there were companies coming out that were like, Hey, let's try this. And textbook publishers were dipping their toes into the water. We've moved over to an, uh, a more online presence. And we started out using WebCT to be the host of our courses. The challenge that we ran into at the time was that our target service area, many of the students were very rural and they mm-hmm. didn't have internet yeah. access, Yeah, which is still a challenge today. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we also had to develop more text-based 
graphical and less video because bandwidth issues. Did you do delivery on cell phone as well? Well, at that time, cell phones weren't smartphones, so it wasn't. Oh, okay. um, we're talking, let's see, 98, 99, oh, okay. so very early days. Yeah. Your job involved managing an LMS as well as development, right? That is correct. Was that And that? teaching. So was that, that was yeah. also helping faculty develop their courses and serving as one of the LMS administrators. So how much fun was that? It was a blast. Really? Um, well, having come out of, you know, the hotel, restaurant, food and beverage world. Yeah. Anything less than about 100 hours a week, I was just like, oh, this is a vacation. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, other people would be like, Mary, are you crazy? I'm like, no, no, you don't understand. If I got one day off a week, I was excited. <laughs> so, That's you know, it's point. it's just a different world, a different mindset. Um and I've been like that. I mean, I've been wired that way my whole life. Even in high school, I was one of those kids that never took lunch and was in back-to-back -back classes and then clubs and then work. So I've just always been sort of that. Let's go see how many new things I can learn and have fun doing. Mm -hmm. Now, something else interesting on your LinkedIn page that you've yes. been doing a long time is GISH. Yes. Oh, so, so wonderful that you bring that up. Tell us about GISH. Sounds <laughs> Should be an interesting story. Well, have you ever heard of Gish? No, I have not. Okay. Have you ever heard of the TV show Supernatural? Yeah. My son loved that. Okay. Well, then your son might actually know a little bit about Gish. So Gish started out as Gishwis, the greatest internet scavenger hunt the world has ever seen. And it's the brainchild of Misha Collins who plays the role of, or played the role of Castiel on Supernatural. Uh -huh. It's a week-long international scavenger hunt, and you're on teams of either 9 or 15 people, and your teams can either be in it for fun or in it to win. We typically play it as an in it for fun because we all have full-time jobs and we uh -huh. can't just like take a week off. With the scavenger hunt, you have a list of about 220 items that you have to complete in a one-week time period, and some of the items are um, community service some of the items are just out there. Creativity uh, could be writing poems. I have crocheted a um, holster for a toothbrush out of dental floss. Um, we recreated. It's a and, good skill uh, to have. Oh, it is. It is. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, if you're going to ever crochet with dental floss, get the um, non, non uh, <laughs> waxy kind. Um, we've taken an AI recipe and recreated it in the kitchen while dressed as a panda bear. Um, but the other part is there's also a charity component involved uh -huh. with Gish. So we have raised money to build a one house. Would, one would hope so. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, you know, we've, we've, we've raised money to, to buy, you know, build houses <laughs> for homeless vets. We've mm. uh, supported a dance school. We've, you know, so there's a lot of things there. And then some of it is just plain fun. Um, the real thrill of it is people keep coming back year after year. So I'm on my 10th year of leading a Gish team. Mm. And it's a very reasonable entry fee. It's like $25 to play. And that goes to offset some of the costs of running a scavenger hunt that large. Wow. Yeah. No, that sounds great. Yeah. I mean, you know, picnicking in a dumpster. Uh, you haven't lived till you've done that. No. <laughs> no, you have not. So uh, I'll have to get right on that. Yes, please. You know, we're still looking for three people on our team this year. So. All right. Now, before we go on, I, I realized that I should, for, for anybody who lives in Toronto who's old enough to remember, I should, you know, credit my, my uncle. 
<laughs> Uncle Harold Martin for and his restaurants because they'll make some people might recognize the names. The Nushery is the one. Ah, uh, okay. On Eglinton, and then the Penthouse was the uh, catering place upstairs, and then he had uh, the Corner Room and Captain Submarine and all these other, all these other places. So just in Wonderful. case anybody from Toronto is listening and wants to stroll down memory lane. Um, now I want to move on to more personal questions. Getting sure. Do you have your work-life balance? Were you born in Hendersonville? I was not. I am born and raised in Chicago, and I have lived in the Nashville slash Hendersonville area for about 20 years too long. Mm-hmm. <laughs> How was that? Well, it's, 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 I think much like New Yorkers or folks from other major cities, it's like you can take the, the, the girl out of Chicago, but you can't take Chicago out of the girl. So uh-huh. I really enjoy many of the things that are available to me living in Tennessee. We've got mountains just a few hours away. We've got, you know, lots of wild outdoor stuff and, you know, great country music and activities. Um, but you know, and we're getting better on the food scene, but Chicago will always be home. So it's just kind of like, even though I will never go back to live, there's still a part of me that's like, this is, you know, Chicago will always be home. Yeah. You're a city girl. I am. I am. When I first moved to Nashville, my friends were just like, you're never going to make it because Nashville has really grown in the last 10, 15 years. And when I first got down here, it was a lot of open fields. And I was like, where, what have I done to myself? <laughs> And what's your family situation like? Uh, my son and I co-founded a business together. Oh? Yes. So he, um, I left my corporate job to what I thought was just going to do freelance instructional design projects because my partner had retired after tw- uh, 30 years of teaching middle school science. And it was like, hey, we're just going to travel and I'm going to pick up some freelance jobs to keep my skills. And then my son came home from work one day and said, mom, I quit my job. I've got $80,000 in student loans. I want to join the family business. And so, oh. so my initial response was what family business? And that was rapidly followed by what can you do? And so there was about a year of trying to figure out what he could do. And then I sent him through the ATD um, instructional design certification uh-huh. and he's gone through gamification certification. And so he is now a full fledged instructional designer, storyline developer, gamification. And that was um, the beginning of Lavender. And so that's how Lavender Dragon Dragons. Team started. Yeah. Say that again, because I think I interrupted you. I was trying to think. Oh, sure. It's, it's Lavender Dragon Team. So my favorite color is purple, but purple is not a good name to associate with a dragon. Uh, dragon is my uh, spirit animal, for lack of a better term. The dragons have always been in my life since as long as I can remember. And there's my son and I, so we're a team. <laughs> And how do you handle your work-life balance? Um, hmm. Our philosophy is you work until you get the project done. And if that means that you decide to take off in the middle of the week because you want to go hiking or hang out with friends, then you might be working on the weekend because the most important thing is meeting the client deadline. And you and your son get along, I presume? We do. Yes. Um, I homeschooled both of my children. My son, both of my children were competitive athletes. My son was a competitive tennis player. And so when his coaches couldn't go along, even though I knew nothing about tennis, I learned after sitting through 10 years of tennis lessons. Um, so I was his, his, uh, his ride, his coach, his support. So yeah, we get along quite well. Hmm. Great. Yeah. My daughter and I get along great, but we can't work together. <laughs> So you got two sons and a daughter? One son, one daughter, and four cats. And uh, your ex, how long have you been, have you 
separated, divorced? What's your? Um, so I current, I've been with my current, my current partner, my partner for six years. Um, exes are like many, many years in the hit, down the road, but Ken, uh, he and I've actually known each other since grade school. And then we worked together at Denny's and then we remet at a grade school reunion six and a half years ago and connected and have been together since. But you don't live together. Well, he lives here most of the time, but he also owns a home in Chicago. Uh-huh. And so he's right. He's there right now taking care of some family stuff. Yeah. Oh, that sounds great. That's yeah. So nice. That's so nice to meet somebody that, you know, you used to know as a friend and I'm presuming. Yes. Yeah. No, I mean, it's just. <laughs> and then get together with later. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we worked together on that graveyard shift at Denny's and then we went our own ways and, and did our own thing. And then, you know, 30 some years later, we are wow. back together. <laughs> So there's hope for all of us then. <laughs> there is hope for everyone. And, you know, it's just kind of like the magic happens in the strangest times, most yeah. likely when you're not looking for it. And I think that applies to both like really cool jobs and, and really cool people in your life. Amen. So final question, what do you do to stay sane when you're not working? I, uh, oh. Well, some people would question whether Sane and Mary go together in the same sentence, but typically I do a lot of reading and a lot of crocheting and um, occasionally we'll go out and do things with friends. But this last year, that hasn't been the norm at all. That's the two minute warning. Okay. To wrap up, I like to ask a 10 question survey that's sort of a personality quiz. It was created for a French TV show and then used on the actor's studio. And now I've basically stolen them. Okay. So the idea is just to say the first thing that pops into your mind. All right. What is your favorite word? Yup. What is your least favorite word? Mayonnaise. What turns you on creatively, spiritually, or emotionally? Adventure. What turns you off? Stubbornness. Do you live near an airport? Not far. I don't know if the audience will be able to hear that plane on there, but um, so be, let me back up. Your favorite word, you respond very quickly, like you've heard, you you knew what it was, but I I also didn't understand it. So fill us in on there. Oh, so my favorite word is yup. Y u p, like yup. Oh, yup. <laughs> How did that become your favorite word? Well, because I was told that I say no too frequently, so I'm trying to change. Ah. All right. Uh, do you have a favorite curse word? Um, dickhead. <laughs> <laughs> what sound or noise do you love? The absence of sound. And what sound or noise do you hate? Mm, bags crinkling, people chewing, popcorn uh, crunching. I have misophonia, so there's this whole range of sounds that just oh, actually really? drive me up a tree. So you're reminding me of going to the movies, though. I try to avoid going to the movies. Really? Because of the bags crinkling and the popcorn chewing. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Hmm. Author. What profession would you like not to do? Race car driver. Really? I don't like to drive. You don't like to drive at all? No, okay, I think so that comes from years and years and years of spending like hours and hours and hours on the road. Now I just don't want to drive. Yeah, very good. And the final question, what I call the heaven question, okay. if heaven exists, 
What would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Welcome. Come on in. All right. That's it. That's, that's awesome. It, that's all. Yeah. It's been a pleasure talking to you. How do you feel? Uh, I feel great. This was a very interesting discussion. It was a lot of fun. We went to a lot of uh, unusual places. Oh, yes. Yes. I've got lots of unusual stories. <laughs> the ID Fanatic drops every Tuesday at noon Eastern time. If you had a good time, please subscribe and let me know what you think on Podbean or Apple or by contacting me, Mitch Boldovsky, on LinkedIn. You can also follow my company page, The ID Fanatic, for updates and occasional free stuff. That's it for now. I sincerely hope that you and all your loved ones have a totally awesome week. Bye-bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs>